the 93 WIBC mashup. The best moments of the day on 93 WIBC. Tony Katz on the 93 WIBC mashup. Greetings from Tel Aviv, everybody. So I got in this morning. I got in 7 a.m. time Tel Aviv, so that would be midnight for us in Indianapolis. I'm seven hours ahead as we speak and got to where I'm staying in, in Tel Aviv. And, and uh, so far, I've spent over $500 cigar on cigars, and I got crapped on by a bird. Both those things did happen. In the few hours that I've been in Tel Aviv, the skies are are blue. And what's fascinating about this city, I mean, you're talking about a full-on metropolitan, international city. You can actually hear the the, the horns and everything else uh, in, in in the background there. It's life is normal here, which is, I think, for a lot of people, kind of hard to fathom. How in the world do you have life as normal when you're at war? And their answer is, what are we supposed to do? We've got the soldiers on it, but businesses have to be run. Lives have to be taken care of. People still need to go to a grocery store. And even in Tel Aviv, you hear about people starting to do more nighttime activities, nightlife activities. Now, Tel Aviv is also where they have some of the protests. Not only do they constantly have those people demanding the release of the hostages, right, people you and I would very, very much like, but they also have people who want to engage in the politics of of Israel. From what I am told, uh, just as anecdotally, it is a minority of the country. They're just very vocal. And they come to Tel Aviv and they and they kind of try and take over the, the, the downtown downtown of Tel Aviv and block traffic to try and have changes made uh, to this government, which is right now, uh, so we know it, a unity government. So when people say, you know, Netanyahu, right-wing government, that, that, that's, that's not accurate by any stretch of the imagination. This is a unity government because they're dealing with this terrorist organization, Hamas. Now, when Hamas is destroyed, and that is certainly the hope, um, then things will change and then they'll go back to elections because it's, it's Israeli politics. It's, it's completely insane. They'll go back to that and uh, you can rest assured that Netanyahu will be out. Because that's, that's exactly how it's, it's going to go. Um, once this is done, they're going to look at him and say, how could you have allowed this to happen under your watch? Now, that's my take on it. I have been uh, clear about this, and I haven't changed. What I can tell you is that everywhere you go, there are reminders. Uh, bring them home now. Uh, those signs. When you're in the airport, Ben Gurion Airport is the name of the airport. And you're walking down this this ramp to get to customs and show your passport. It is nothing but photos of all the hostages. Release him now. Release her now. It's a couple. Release them now. That's all you see. Just lining this this walkway, this kind of ramp. It's a pretty wide ramp uh, as, as you're walking down. The reminders are everywhere. This is a very, very unified country when it comes to taking out Hamas. A very unified country when it comes to taking out Hamas. And and I have not seen anything yet that would change that. Now, I'm curious as to how much some of my conversations in Tel Aviv are going to go, because more international city. I, I'm not kidding. There's a there's an actually a, a very 
I'm not going to say palpable, but I noticed the level of China influence that's here. Chinese-made cars on the roads. I actually saw a Chinese flag flying. Now, maybe it was the Chinese embassy, and I didn't quite understand it because I, I did go by the British embassy, but I thought it was it was odd. There's also an interesting Russian uh, kind of thing going on here. One of the, the their Uber is called Get, G-E-T-T, and then they've got another one, which is Russian-owned, and I'm not downloading that app. No chance, no how. I am not getting Navalny'd. It's just not happening. That That's a verb. It's pretty gross, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. So how things are seen here in Tel Aviv could be a very different conversation than how things are seen north of here in a place called Akko, which I will be in, uh, down uh, near Gaza, where these attacks took place, where I am scheduled to be as well. So first glance, first look, first blush, a totally unified country in wanting to take out Hamas. The leftists of America don't represent anything except the very worst of humanity. Uh, I have some very good cigars. I got I hope I get them through customs. And yes, got crapped on by a bird. Hear Tony Katz live, weekdays 6 to 9 and noon to 3 on 93 WIBC. It's Kendall and Casey on the 93 WIBC mashup. So President Joe Biden set to make that rare trip to the U.S.-Mexico border today, and that's going to set up a split screen for the uh, 24 rival he has with Donald Trump, right? Because they're both going to the border. They're going to different locations, and I'm sure their messages will be completely different as well. Yeah, doesn't this really put Trump in a better light because he's able to contrast himself with Biden? Like, he... He's uh, one of the reasons I'm good at arguing, Casey, Mm -hmm. is and one of the reasons I was effective when I was in government is because I did. I've done this my whole life. And part of doing this your whole life is you learn to make the the adversary you're up against play on your terms. You always put yourself in a position to talk about things you're comfortable talking about that make you look better. Mm -hmm. And so much of being a successful debater or politician or winning elections or whatever is making the opposition play on your terms. It's no different than a sporting event. Right. You're controlling the conversation. Right. In you know, in football, if you are a run eccentric team, you want to get, you know, those those third and manageables where it could be a run, it could be a screen pass, you know, more moving bodies where, you know, basketball the same thing. If you're a if you've got a you know a, like Purdue, hey, get the ball into Zach Eady. We're gonna play on you know on our terms and mm-hmm. have those guys have to collapse in and then our guys are open to shoot threes. And what Trump is doing here with this about having both of these guys at the same time, which is why I'm surprised Biden went at the same time, is he's going to he's going to force Biden to play on his terms on an issue Trump is good at and an issue Biden is vulnerable on. And so this should be a home run for Donald Trump. Well, Trump is expected to give remarks at Eagle Pass and uh, Biden's going to be in Brownsville. They're about 300 miles apart. Biden expected to meet with U.S. border agents and some of them 
they're not happy about it. They say this is just uh, another photo op. It's a dog and pony show. But the other big thing that people are noting is that just earlier this week on Monday, 511 illegal immigrants were encountered at Eagle Pass Station, and that's where Donald Trump is visiting. Just 12 illegal immigrants were encountered at the Brownsville Station, where Joe Biden is going. Here, here is another reason Trump will be very effective at this. There is near universal support amongst reasonable, rational, can be swayed people that something has to be done about the border. Now, obviously, like with anything else, there's 30% of the country that are complete maniacs who are for no borders whatsoever, you know, on demand mass illegal immigration. Those people don't count. But amongst rational, reasonable people, there now there, there may be varying degrees to which things should be done or what should be done, but you have a near universal consensus amongst gettable voters that something needs to be done in the border, which gives Trump the freedom to be a little more Trump-like without offending people. People look at this poor girl getting killed in Georgia. They look at three million people coming across the border. They look at the changing of this country and what's happening, and they're saying someone has to do something. Sometimes... In times of desperation, Mm -hmm. people are over willing to overlook otherwise, and I'm making up words here, unoverlookable character flaws. And that will allow Trump to go down there and be Trump. And they will say, well, at least someone's trying to do Mm -hmm. or wants to do something to stop this. I mean, I like this guy, but I know he'll be serious about this. Let's go. Again, going back to Donald Trump wants to fight for us. Joe Biden, it seems like he doesn't want to solve the problem. He's just going because he's looking so bad comparatively. Here is the Texas lieutenant governor speaking about the location that Joe Biden has chosen to visit. He doesn't care. This is all about the politics of the future. They want millions to come here, become citizens, then voters, so they can control the country. And they don't care. It's obvious they don't care who dies to meet those goals. You know, we always talk about how successful campaigns... And if you're a person running for state house or state senate or even your local offices, free advice here. Successful campaigns are written on napkins. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is it's three or four things that when you put it on a door hanger, you put them in big, bold letters. And that way, when somebody is that 15 second march from the front door to the trash can, they will associate you with these three or four things. And your campaign, and I will say this as someone who has been pretty darn successful in either running campaigns or being the candidate, your campaign is going to live and die on those talking points. And so for Trump, it's no different. Presidential campaign is a lot bigger than your city council race, but it's the same premise. He needs to come up with three or four things. It should be. It should be the border. It should be inflation and government spending. It should be energy independence and and the price of gasoline. And those three things, I think you could run right to the presidency if he can, in a disciplined fashion, can message himself around the keyword being disciplined fashion, (laughs) message around those three things, because everybody's sick of those three things and everybody largely blames Biden for those three things. I think it'll be an interesting preview of what a potential debate could sound like, because tomorrow morning, we're going to have audio clips of both of these guys at the border. So it will be real interesting to compare and contrast what they're saying, how they're saying it, and what the whole thing looks like. Catch Kendall and Casey live weekdays 9 to noon on 93 WIBC.
Tony Katz on the 93 WIBC Mashup. Andrew Langer in for Tony Katz today and joining me right now is my old friend Tony Katz uh, on the ground in Tel Aviv. Tony, how was the uh, Turkish coffee? Uh, The Turkish coffee was good, kid. It was good. I have had today, and remember, today has been going on since yesterday. I have had 43 cups of coffee. No. Um, if, If it could be made in a cafe in Tel Aviv... I have drank the coffee, and it has been <laughs> it has been glorious. You know the whole the people who do international travel on on the regular and and make these flights. I don't I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they keep their clocks. You know in 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 sync. I'm seven hours ahead. So right now it's it's just after eight p.m. in Tel yes. Aviv. The sun has has already uh, set. And I have slept maybe, you know, on that plane ride, uh, three hours, three and a half hours yeah. in the last 36. It's, it is surreal. Remember, remember what, uh, remember what the guy on the plane with John McClane said to him in Die Hard. You, you take off your shoes, you take off your socks, and you make fists with your toes. That's how you, that's how you get through it, Tony. So you got to go make fists with your toes. That is how you have the amount of people who have reached out to me. Hey, man, don't forget to take an aspirin. You need a baby aspirin. You don't want to get the deep vein thrombosis. And all I can think is I'm worried about the plane having an issue. Now I have to worry about (laughs) deep vein thrombosis. Can 2024 just leave me alone already? (laughs) It's all all I want. Just the simple, simple things. Um, uh, I so so the 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 stuff starts in earnest, you know, where our travels down to a, a place called Raim where that's where the music festival massacre took sure. place when the terrorists uh, uh, of Hamas uh, attacked I will be in in a town called Maharia which is uh, north of, of Akko very close to the Lebanon border we're going to be touring hospitals that are running on skeleton crews we're going to actually be doing some farming and talking to, to, to those people so all that is now getting started in, in earnest today was just a little bit of kind of get the flavor of Tel Aviv and what's going on here. And, and, and what is, how would you describe the flavor of Tel Aviv? It's, it is a very strange thing to watch this. Israel's at war and everybody knows it. And and no one should think for a second that the people of Tel Aviv aren't fully aware of it. The um, bring them home now signs are everywhere. Every cafe, every shop, everywhere. The posters of of the the kidnapped by by Hamas are up everywhere. When you get to Ben Gurion Airport, which is the airport uh, in Tel right. Aviv, and there's this very very large ramp that after you get uh, out of the uh, the gates and you're walking towards customs. Every three feet, there is a poster reminding you. There, it, it, it is it is everywhere. It is ever present. But those cafes are full. And people right. are drinking coffee, and people are out for a run, and people are shopping. The amount of strollers that I have seen, small children, teenagers having a, a coffee or having a drink, and, and they're like they're done with school for, for, for the day. And, and it, it's, it's, 
it is it strikes one as a bit surreal like like we know what's happening and we talk about it Andrew you talk about it and the other work right. that you do and the podcasts that you do and, and the consulting things that you do we're, we're fully aware and, and we certainly are on the show we're talking about it and, and, and latest updates but you take a look at the people of Tel Aviv and for a second you're like wait a second do they know what's going on and sure. when you talk to them as, as you start engaging with them what you start hearing is we want Hamas gone everybody wants Hamas gone the country is completely aligned but these people have lives that they have to right. live and they're living them and and there's a certain level of in in Tel Aviv because it is such a metropolitan city it is such a, it is so huge the the skyline of Tel Aviv you know i i was last here in 1989 last in in, wow. in israel so you know as many people have explained to me it it wasn't even a country then like like sure. the, the the growth of these last years has been been exponential and it is there are cranes everywhere it's it it is an unbelievable skyline and these people are living their lives there it is a little bit different in tel aviv because of the international flair of it than i think the the rest of israel but it's not like anybody has forgotten it's just life is happening well, right. I mean, it, two, two things that I'm reminded of. N number one is, let's not forget that up until a couple of years ago, uh, we had a period of, of relatively unprecedented peace, you know, as a result of the Abraham Accords. That's helped what has spurred a lot of this construction over there, this reliance on the stability that was existing. Biden come in, comes in and the order uh, was upended. Uh, at the same time, I'm also in terms of this issue of living your lives. I don't know if you I'm sure you had conversations with our good friend, the late, great Cameron Gray, who had downloaded that app that had the uh, the rocket attacks, the notification of the rocket attacks app. Did you ever talk to him about this, Tony? Uh, about about those specific apps? No, and that conversation. Well, he, had, he had he had he had downloaded that app, the app that notified you if there was a rocket attack uh, happening somewhere in Israel, and he tried living for several days, and it was just one of these situations. Again, this was during Barack Obama's tenure as president, so this is before Donald Trump came in and things changed. But the number of attacks, he's like, you know, folks try to live their lives, but they have these apps that notifies them if, if something's happening in their lives. It's the way you try to live. Defiantly and purposefully, I think that's what I'm what I'm getting at here. It's part of what what goes on there. You're going to learn more about this. Who are you over there with, uh, and and who else is on the? Can you talk about who else is on the trip with you? Yeah. So so two things to to that point. Um, recognizing that a state of war is culture in in Israel is is something is something else when i went uh, uh back in the day i had come back and i had done a speech i was i was a kid i was yeah I, I was in my teens my late teens and 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 i had done a speech at, at my synagogue so this is new jersey and there were two thousand people there it was the jewish holidays and i had given a speech where i'd actually held up a a bullet that went into an M16 and, and was explaining that this is the culture. And yes, absolutely, in Tel Aviv, uh, soldiers with M16s I am walking right past me as if it is absolutely nothing because it is absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, these, these people, young and old, have always lived with this state of, of, of war in this, in this culture. I have two different rocket apps on my phone right now 
um, uh, to to give me some level of awareness if things go on. And I'm telling you that for some parts of my tour, right here in in my hotel room is my bulletproof vest. I brought it wow. with me. It's right here, and of course, it's going to be worn. Some people might say, "Oh, sure, Tony, you're like you're really worried." Anybody who is anybody would understand that, hey, of course uh, there's a level of concern and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a very, very rational level of concern. But people going about their lives, it, 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 I, I say it as jarring because it is. It, it is as, it's, it's stunning to witness. But this is every day for them. Every day is walking down Ben Yehuda Street in Tel Aviv and, and, and knowing that someone could do something because that's the way it's been. What the hope is in, in the people that I, I, I have spoken to is that there, there are no more straws. There are, there, beyond, we're beyond last straw. This has to end. Now, as, here, as here. for the group, as for the group, Andrew, uh, so it's the Jewish Federation of Indianapolis, along with the National Jewish Federation. There's something, uh, the partnership uh, for, for, for Western Galilee, partnership with Western Galilee. So um, that that's who, uh, if, if you will, sponsored uh, this. Uh, I, I paid my, my, my own travel and, and, and everything else, um, hmm. but it's, it's just this opportunity to sure. meet with mayors, to meet with soldiers, meet with these hospital workers, meet with people in, in the Druze community, D-R-U-Z-E. Uh, people forget that there are Israeli Arabs all over the place who sure. absolutely recognize that Israel is not the problem. Hamas is the problem. This idea that somehow the Arab world is, is against Israel. Wait, we can point to people. We can point to nations. We can point to terrorist groups. But Israeli Arabs, they're living good lives, and they want right. to continue living good lives. They're not on the side of Hamas. Hamas is the enemy. Hamas is keeping them from being able to live a rational, rational life. So, so with this 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 group um, uh, where I, I you know it's it's people from the Indianapolis area where, where I'm at there's people here from Texas people from from Ohio different levels of leadership within these organizations and others um, and and really people who are in their uh, for lack of better word community trying to get people to understand what what level of horror show is really going on here the level of upending you're talking about tens of thousands of of Israeli refugees. They have no homes. The homes have been destroyed. You're talking about, wow. uh, you know, farms and farmers. The people who normally are working these farms, you have people who come from the Philippines and other places who, who get work permits in Israel and are working. They're not here. And other people, they're on the front lines. They're, they're fighting this, this war. So there, there's a serious food uh, conversation, an issue that's happening. There's the question of, you know, uh, while the, the hospitals have doctors, what about the staff to clean the hospital? They're on the, they're on the right. lines. Um, there's, there's just been an upending of society and and our media, uh, Andrew, it, it, they don't they don't talk about this in the slightest, and that's one of the right. things I wanted to talk to. So when the opportunity came up, you know, off I went. Hear Tony Katz live weekdays six to nine and noon to three on ninety three WIPC. Hammer and Nigel on the ninety three WIPC mashup. 
tenderloins, euchre, basketball, Indiana stuff. Breaking news, by the way, uh, here in this segment called Indiana Stuff. In a roundabout way, this has to do with Indiana. Uh, Caitlin Clark, who plays for the Iowa Hawkeyes, very famous female college basketball player, the best well-known biggest name in college sports right now, I would say, has declared. We didn't know if she was going to go to that fifth COVID year that she was allowed to take or enter the WNBA draft, which the Indiana Fever have the number one pick. She has formally announced on X that she is entering the draft for the WNBA. This is big news for our friends that work over at Pacers and Sports Entertainment because the Fever, they've got that top pick, which means, unless they're complete morons, <laughs> they're going to draft Caitlin Clark. And man, there's a lot of people that want to watch her play the game of basketball. She's a shooter, she's got her act together, seems like a good citizen. That's good news. She is uh, about 18, just 18 points away. She broke the women's all-time scoring record. Right. Uh, But now she, I'm reading here, what is it? Clark is just 18 points away from breaking Pete Maravich's record of 3,667 points. And she's, we got quite a ways to go before the end. Well, when's the end of the regular season for? So they're getting close, but then she's got Big Ten tournament. Yeah. And then the NCAA tournament. I will say this for Pete Maravich, and I said this before. The dude played three years of college basketball, and there was no Uh, three-point line. uh, And a lot of the shots that Pete would chuck up there would have been three-point shots. Yeah, but still, but he's still, nobody's broken that record. Right. Scoring man machine, or woman. man. Man or woman. And Caitlin Clark, she is a brand. She's that's bringing it. some brand recognition. This is a big, big thing that's going to happen to the Indiana Fever. So that's awesome. Uh, you may have heard on the news earlier, Harrison Silcox was talking about this, a bill that put the future of the blue line, the Indigo blue line in question, is now dead. And the reason why it's dead is that dead. the folks that were talking about it got what they wanted. The whole point of this thing possibly dying was it was taking up lanes of traffic that cars could not use. Right. Well, now there's been some sort of compromise where essentially two lanes of general traffic will be maintained in each direction of Washington Street whenever possible. Yeah, I thought the whole... I, I don't... The guy behind this bill, I don't think they were trying to kill this thing. They just wanted to make sure that there were more than, like, you know, one lane of traffic going each way. Right. There was more, it, it would just been more congestion and more traffic. He came on our show and talked about it. He wasn't against the lines. He just was pro traffic being able to move around on Washington Street, which, if you take away a dedicated lane of traffic, that's going to back up and be a nightmare. So, I think this is a pretty good compromise. Every once in a while, you get a good compromise or a good trade. Like the Pacers and the Sacramento Kings, they had a good trade. It benefited everybody. The Kings got Sabonis. He helps them because they needed some muscle. And the Pacers got Tyrese Halliburton. He became the face (laughs) of the franchise. Everybody won on that. Both teams are better because of it. Are they? Is there a concerted effort? And I've heard other people on the station talking about this, a concerted effort to make it more difficult for people to drive downtown and encourage the use of these systems instead of cars. I think so, but 
they're going to have a hard time pushing it out because I think everybody knows what's going on. Let's not get ourselves. The city county council and boss hog set and all of his cronies. It's not about the traffic. It's about wanting to look progressive so they can get better jobs one day in other markets. The reason Joe Hawk sets the mayor now was that loser couldn't get hired anywhere else. So he came back and decided to be the mayor again. And now he can say, well, we are reducing emissions. Look how progressive Indianapolis is. We're like the Midwest Seattle, to which those lunatics is a good thing. So that's what it's about. And I'm happy that this little compromise comes along. If somebody needs to ride a bus, great. But don't block down an entire lane of traffic that most of us need because of it. That's all we're asking here. Uh, U.S. Senate hopeful John Rusts, once again, trying to fight to get back on the Republican primary ballot. According to a verified petition for judicial review filed in Marion County Court yesterday, Rust is requesting that an order made by the Indiana Election Division to remove him from the ballot was unsupported by, quote, substantial evidence. So what happened was the election board basically said, hey, for you to be on an Indiana primary ballot, you had to have voted in a couple previous primary ballots. Right. He did not do that. And he had not received certification to run from a county Republican chair. Those are two stipulations under Indiana's code that are required. Rust allegedly did not meet those, so they kicked him off the ballot. Now, I know folks like Rob Kendall are saying, screw it, just let him on. The more people, the better. Power to the people. I get all that. And Rust is saying, listen, I'm a good dude. I'm ready to run. I'm petitioning. Petitioning. I think you missed out on some evidence here. So we got some wow. legal stuff going on. I'm fine with that. Jim Banks will tell you, as he said on this show, that Rust is a Democrat. That's that true. Is, that has voted that way. He now, did I, say look, that look, on I, this show. And I believe that was the first time we had... And I think Jim Banks is the first, first time I'd ever heard him respond that vigorously to his... To a, to a man that wants to compete with him for that uh, Senate seat. Right. And we normally are not candidate interview guys on this show. We have on guests, but like when we have on Jim Banks or Senator Braun or whoever, we're talking to them about their current position in power. We were talking to Mike Braun about what he's going to do voting on this, you know, funding to Ukraine bill. Right. We talk about the border with Jim Banks and things like that. Somebody sent a tweet, might have been an email, I think it was a tweet the other day, ripping us because we were crapping on John Rust. I've never done that. I, 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 I'm on the record to say I thought he should be on the ballot. And I don't think I've really talked about it at all. Like, it's kind of a Rob Kendall deal. I don't want to step on his toes. He's passionate about it. You can get coverage about that with Rob. But it's funny how people hear what they want to hear. And we get this a lot in News Talk Radio. Somebody saying, Hammer and Nigel are against John Rust. No, we haven't even talked about it. Not at all. Not at all. Honestly, most candidate interviews bore the pants off of me. (laughs) Now We have to work overtime to make them sound interesting. Right. It's just not our thing for this show. For other shows, it's great. You know, Rob does a great job. Tony does a great job. But for this show, eh, unless you're going to bring a little entertainment value to the conversation here, I'd rather just do poop jokes. It's the (laughs) Hammer and Nigel show. (laughs) 
Hammer and Nigel are live every weekday afternoon, 3 to 7, on 93 WIBC. The Tony Kennett Cast on the 93 WIBC Mashup. A lot of interesting junk going on around the country, and it is junk. It's okay to admit that, by the way. The news this time of year is is stinky. And here in the great Midwestern heartland state, we understand that February into March is like the dirty slush snow that usually sits at uh, outside Walmart in the parking lot. You know, like the kind that's always right next to your car when you have to get out that that junk. Well, the first pile of that stinky, snowy sludge garbage is that uh, President Biden went down to the border and uh, tried to talk um, and President Trump. Our former President Trump went down to the border and also uh, it was like a weird presidential battle, kind of a real no border for old men situation. And we're going to be talking about that the next segment. The bigger, stinkier pile of sludge next to the others is that everyone on Earth, at least everyone on the media, uh, is freaking out and then some about the Supreme Court of the United States, which really seems to be about half of the freakouts from the progressive left over the last couple of years. You see, the Supreme Court of the United States um, currently has an originalist majority, uh, which, according to the left, means a Christo-fascist, ethno-something, racist, homophobic, whatever majority. Um, Anywho, the Supreme Court of the United States has agreed to listen to the appeal of former President Trump uh, stating that he has immunity in the uh, case regarding Jack Smith, the federal case regarding uh, President Trump and documents and insurrection and just a whole big political theater trial situation. Now, many of you will remember that Jack Smith asked the Supreme Court directly to take up this appeal as quickly as possible. And uh, I don't know if you guys are also aware of we're just full of fun facts here today on the show, but the Supreme Court of the United States has a lot of stuff to hear um, the Supreme Court of the United States happens to go over a lot of laws and a lot of lawsuits and a lot of cases and appeals that filter their way up past the federal court system. And they can't just snap their fingers, whip out a tablecloth like a you know corrupt senator at a Chicago restaurant. They actually have to take court cases one at a time, which means that the Supreme Court may not actually have time to hear Trump's appeals until July or August, because that's how things go. And and then that's only hearing arguments. And then they may not actually release some kind of a ruling until November, which that has put the entire media sphere in a tizzy. Here's uh, Rachel Maddow, uh, a bastion of of hope, truth and justice on MSNBC, losing her mind over the Supreme Court of the United States. When you talk about the cravenness of the court, Chris, the cravenness of the court is evident in what they are doing with the pacing here, right? Like putting this off for seven weeks, sitting on it for two weeks for no reason, obviously pushing all of the cases that they can push, pushing them to the point where uh, Trump will be standing for election before any of us have heard the verdicts in any of those cases. Got it. It's the timing. But it's also the idea that the immunity thing is an open question, right? Is really presidential immunity an open question? Because what's the most famous pardon in American history? Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon once he had resigned and was a former president. Why did Gerald Ford pardon Richard Nixon? Quote, 
as a result of certain acts or omissions occurring before his resignation as president, meaning as a result of stuff he did while president, quote, Richard Nixon has become liable to possible indictment and trial. <laughs> right. Whether or not he shall be so prosecuted depends on findings of the appropriate grand jury and the discretion of the authorized prosecutor. So the idea that this is an open question, that it might be that a former president can never be tried for something that he did because he was president when he did it, is disproven by a plain reading of American history and the whole justification for Richard Nixon being pardoned in the first place. So the idea that this has to be taken up is them saying the sky is green. Right. And I think even for the non-lawyers among us to be able to say, you know what, the sky is not green even on our worst day, this is BS. You are doing this as a dilatory tactic to help your political, your political friend, your partisan. So she goes on like the, the Yorkie that chatters in the pet shop window because that's Rachel Maddow. Uh, but more importantly, we need to address two very important arguments here about the Supreme Court. Number one, if the f script was flipped, let's say that a Democrat president like Obama or Biden uh, was in a trial and or was facing trial, some kind of a, a crime that they might have committed. And they submitted an appeal to the Supreme Court. The left would be losing their ever-loving mind if the Supreme Court did not actually give them a chance to express their concerns before the Supreme Court of the United States. That's number one. Number two, and most importantly, you do not loosely abbreviate basic American history to interpret the U.S. Constitution. Okay, so... Oh, the pain. This is just behind my eyelids. It's elementary civics every dang day of the week. Okay, kids. The Supreme Court of the United States reviews the U.S. Constitution. Um, what was on the news in the 1970s and 80s is not written in the U.S. Constitution. What Richard Nixon did and what Donald Trump did are two very different uh, allegations as far as crimes are concerned, and whether the President of the United States, in keeping classified documents, like the last five presidents have done, is a very different situation than the President of the United States ordering individuals to spy on different political campaigns and then lying about it and using presidential resources to do so. If you do not know the difference between ordering the government to take illegal action and carrying a box of documents like a lot of predecessors before you. Again, I'm not saying whether that was right or wrong. I am simply pointing out those are two different things. If you bite into an orange through the rind and all, and then tell me that's the same as biting into an apple, you're not intelligent. You're not clever. You're not wise. You're not even a good pundit. Pundit comes from the Sanskrit word for teacher. That means I sit here and listen to political crap all day, and then I break down the political crap for you. You may agree with what I say. You may not agree with what I say. But if I bite into an orange and then throw it at you and tell you it's an apple, I'm not doing you any kind of a service beyond silly. Get the Tony Kinnett cast live weeknights at 7 on 93 WIBC. Thanks for listening. Get caught back up again tomorrow with the 93 WIBC mashup.